0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast in my home here in Salt Lake City um, is my friend Anne Easton and her son, Malcolm Easton. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you.
0: Um, I'll introduce both of them. Anne Easton is a mom of four. Um, couples, One of those kids is married. Maren, your daughter's married. Everybody else is single, although there may be a marriage coming up. Um just as a, a side note, um Ann's daughter Marin was in our singles ward where my wife and I served and obviously at that point I was single, now is married, just a terrific woman. And so I'm grateful to be connected to the Easton family. Um, but we're gonna talk about um sort of Ann's journey raising a gay son. Her gay son Malcolm is here. And he will share some thoughts on the podcast. Um, Just more background on Malcolm. He's a, he got a degree in Utah State um, as a, in what, tell us your degree.
2: Oh, I uh, actually only have an associate.
0: Associate degree. And what was that degree
2: in? It was centered on technology.
0: Technology. And you're in web web development right now. Yep. And I bet you're busy because everybody I know that's in web development or working on apps is busy.
2: Yep, that's correct.
0: Um, Malcolm, this isn't a story of a gay Latter-day Saint staying in the church, but this is a story of bridge building and keeping the family circle together and reducing divisiveness. Malcolm um didn't serve a mission and kind of stepped away from the church, has not been active in the church and has a partner. And um, Anne is in the church and gave a talk um about her rainbow child um, as she talks about our LGBTQ friends. So If you're a parent of a LGBTQ child or you're LGBTQ or you're a local leader looking, how do we better support LGBTQ members or even people that have left our faith? How do we reduce divisiveness and keep us together as the same human family? I hope that this this isn't just academic for the Eastons. This is real life, what they're doing. Um, And I would call it a beautiful family love story. It's probably different than Anne first thought. (laughs) um her story would be, but that's the reality of just being a parent is stories turn out a little different. But I think this is a beautiful family love story. And with that, I'll I think Anne may just kind of talk, but I think she's gonna read a talk that she gave in her ward, um, a little about her journey as a rainbow mama. But I'll turn it over to you, Anne.
1: Thank you. I'd like to preface just a little bit with the the fact that um I uh, basically, I had sent a letter to our bishopric or an email to our bishopric, uh, um about one of your podcasts um, that another bishop had how he had um, made a, his ward more welcoming and comfortable for anyone to come to church. And I referenced your podcast and then they called me to speak wow. <laughs> about this. And so um, it was, yeah, so I'll go ahead and read the talk and then we can talk about um, the reactions and what happened with the ward after that. Good afternoon brothers and sisters. My name is Anne Easton and my husband Niall and I have been married for 31 years. We moved into this ward 24 years ago when our son Malcolm was three and our daughter Marin was one. Our other two daughters Alora and Alina were born while we were living here. As time passed our three oldest all moved out and went to Utah State University. I'd like to start my talk with some facts about the scriptures. The Old Testament is 1184 pages long And in all of those many pages, there are only 33 references to the word love. In contrast, the New Testament is 421 pages long, and there are 79 references to the word love. If you're wondering what the difference is, the answer, like the answer to most questions in the gospel, is the Savior. Most of the Savior's ministry focuses on love, and he mentioned it constantly. Our first counselor in the bishopric asked me to talk about showing Christ-like love to everyone, especially to our brothers and sisters who may not look like us or believe the same things that we do. How can we show Christ-like love to one another? When Jesus was ministering, he broke several of the established societal rules. He hung out with tax collectors and Samaritans when it was looked down upon to do so. He even healed someone on the Sabbath. He loved everyone and completely updated the doctrine of the commandments as had been previously taught. In Matthew 22, 37 through 39, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In President Nelson's talk in October 2019, the second great commandment, he starts out by addressing us. My dear brothers and sisters, thank you for living as true followers of Jesus Christ. You know and love to obey his two great commandments. To love God and to love your neighbors. President Nelson goes on to talk about many instances of how the church has provided help and support to many groups and individuals, using mostly examples of people not belonging to our church. He then says Latter day Saints, as with other followers of Jesus Christ, are always looking for ways to help, to lift, and to love others. They who are willing to be called the Lord's people are willing to bear one another's burdens to mourn with those that mourn, and to comfort those that stand in need of comfort. They truly seek to live the first and second great commandments. When we love God with all of our hearts, He turns our, well, our hearts to the well-being of others in a beautiful, virtuous cycle. Sometimes I think we find it easier to love and be kind to those who never believed as we do than to show love and kindness towards those who formerly were part of our church or who have left for one reason or another. The Savior taught us, love thy neighbor, not judge thy neighbor. Judging is the Savior's job, not ours. It is our job to love, bear one another's burdens, mourn, and comfort others. Just a heads up at this point, Niall has always said that one of my spiritual gifts is being able to cry. So you might see that during this talk. Don't worry, I'll be fine. I just feel things very deeply. One of those marginalized groups that we need to show Christ-like love to is what I refer to as our rainbow people. You can't go anywhere in the month of June without seeing rainbows everywhere. These are our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and especially our LGBTQ sons and daughters. If you're wondering why I feel especially impressed to talk about how we can love this group, it's because our son Malcolm is one of those rainbow people. Those of you who've been in this ward for less than 10 years probably don't know him because he graduated in 2012. But those of you who do know Malcolm know that he's an extremely intelligent, kind, loving young man that will serve and help anyone who needs it. He was part of every service project the young man did during his time in the ward and helped Niall as his home teaching partner. He used his expertise to tutor other kids in math, fix swamp coolers, and straighten out computer issues for people in the ward who needed help. Obviously, being our son, he grew up in this ward and passed all the church milestones that are expected at the various ages when it came time, until it came time for him to serve a mission. He was in tears and anguish when he told us that he didn't believe in the church, and so he didn't want to make a commitment to go and to try to teach something that he didn't believe in. It breaks my heart to know that he waited until he was living independently to tell us this, because he was preparing for us to cut him out of our lives, as if we would ever love our son less than to infinity and beyond. He didn't really believe that we would, But he knew how much we believed in the gospel, and exactly that scenario had just happened to one of his close friends from an LDS family. A few few years later, when he came out to us, he was again relieved when we assured him that our love for him would never change, no matter what decisions he made or what path his life took. For me, loving my son is as obvious as breathing, so that was never a question. A few weeks ago, a sister in Relief Society brought up this topic and shared that she knew some parents who had struggled with their own testimonies as a result of this. I didn't speak up at the time except to say that we need to love everyone as Christ does, regardless of what they look like, think, or believe, but I very intimately know the struggle that she was talking about. I've prayed so many times about what to do as a parent and how to reconcile my belief in the gospel with my son's situation, and the answer I repeatedly keep getting is, everything will be okay, and to just love and accept my family. Looking back, there are things I wish I had done differently and had been more prepared for as a parent, and I think talking openly about these things at church, speaking with love for everyone can only help us. Becoming educated on what the church currently, currently believes is very important because things have changed drastically from what I was taught growing up. The church's website answers the question, if I'm faithful enough, will my same-sex attraction go away? This response says the intensity of same-sex attraction is not a measure of your faithfulness. Many people pray for years and do all that they can to be obedient in an effort to reduce same-sex attraction, yet find they are still attracted to the same sex. A change in attraction should not be expected or demanded as an outcome by parents or leaders. Another way we can show love is not to preach. If they've grown up in the church, our kids know what we believe. We've taught them. We don't need to keep preaching at them. Shunning is not a good tool for parenting, especially our adult children. Heavenly Father has trusted us with free agency. We need to eventually give that same trust to our children, as difficult as that may be. The final result is that we need to love them. If there is ever anything we feel is too heavy a burden, we can just lay that at the Savior's feet and know that He will take care of it. So how can we love and minister to the LGBTQ people that we know, and also those who are listening to us that we're unaware of? In one of the resources I've looked at recently, it recommends that for every talk and lesson that we give, we should assume there is at least one LGBTQ person in the room because there most likely is, whether we are aware of it or not. That doesn't mean we need to change our teachings, beliefs, or doctrines, but I definitely think we can be more kind about how we talk about these issues and more inclusive of anyone who doesn't share our beliefs or who is living a different lifestyle and still wants to participate in church in some capacity. I've learned so much in the past few years, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share some of the resources I've used to help strengthen my knowledge and my testimony. Another way we can show love is to communicate with one another. We should respectfully ask questions and listen to one another's stories. For a long time, Malcolm didn't want to talk about it with anyone in the extended or ward family for fear of being judged or outcast. So we didn't talk about it, but it's very uncomfortable not talking about something that's a big part of your life. It's with his permission that I'm sharing everything I am today. I also want to publicly thank Niall for his love and support during this time. Going through the metamorphosis that we have in the past few years is so much easier when we have each other to lean on and talk to. One of the resources I turn to first is Richard Osler's podcast, Listen, Learn, and Love. He was Marin's YSA bishop, and in his tenure as bishop, he came into contact with some LGBTQ YSA members that radically changed his perspective about what he had always thought and believed. He decided that the best way to learn about uh, those members was to talk to them, and more importantly, to listen to their stories. So that's what his podcast does. I've learned so much from listening to his interviews and cried over some of the stories that I've heard. Another podcast I found is Questions from the Closet. The hosts are Ben and Charlie. Both Temple recommend holding return missionaries who are gay and also staying in the church and living church doctrine. To be clear, they don't blanket recommend this to everyone but encourage others to seek personal inspiration and to find their own path. They quote scriptures and talk about their missions and share experiences they've had with personal revelation. I felt this spirit very strongly listening to them and their guests. I've listened to hours and hours of these podcasts, as well as being a member of some of the Facebook support groups that focus on ministering to LGBTQ members. I've learned so much more than I can share in one talk. So if anyone like to continue the conversation, please reach out. After much soul-searching and constant prayer, I still believe in this gospel. I sustain our leaders and I pray for their continued inspiration and in leading this church. I'm eternally grateful for our loving Savior Jesus Christ and his example of Christ-like love. In John 13:35 he says, "By this shall men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love, love one to another." I want to be known as one of his disciples, so I'm going to do everything I can to show Christ-like love to others. In closing, I want to go back to the idea of family. People have often remarked about how close our kids are to one another. We have a couple of sayings in our family to help instill Christ-like love for one another. Even today, if I ask the kids, what's our number one family rule, they respond with, we always love each other. Niall will often say, friends will come and go, but families are forever meaning we always want our kids to love and support one another. We always rally around one another if anyone's feeling down, and we always cheer each other's accomplishments when things are going well. There's a reason we call each other brother and sister in this ward and in this gospel. It's because this is our family. We are all children of the same loving heavenly parents, and this family too is forever. We show Christ-like love when we are there for one another and when we actually treat one another like family. I leave these things with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. It's a great talk. On behalf of all of our listeners that weren't there for your talk, I'm glad this platform exists so that more people can hear your talk. It's a great talk. I have a hard copy in front of me, listeners. And there's a lot of things that I just underlined as Ann was giving that. Um, Malcolm, did you come? And listen, you're not active in the church. You haven't been to—did uh, you come? I know the answer to this listeners. This is a baited question
2: <laughs> yeah actually i did I did go um my I remember at the at the moment that I was about to be too late to go i had i decided that I just had to I just had to go because I had to support my mom. she's supporting me, I have to support her, I owe her everything so. Uh, had to be there. So I got, I rushed and got dressed and I sped the whole way. And um, I was just hoping that I would get there in time. And I parked, I found the first parking spot on the side of the road. I could outside the church. Um, And I ran in and, uh, and they were just wrapping up um, sacrament. And uh, so I was so grateful. I was able to walk in right before she gave the talk and I could see her tearing up. It was great.
1: Yeah, seeing him walk in, that that pretty much did it for me. I thought, well, if I had any chance of not crying, it's gone.
0: <laughs> this is the ward you grow up grew up in. Um, I don't know how long it's been. If you're 28 and you kind of didn't go on a mission, that you may have been out not active for 10, eight to 10 years. So, I, I don't know if you've been going intermittently a little bit. Or, but tell our listeners what it was like to be back in that ward and how the ward treated you. you, Your mom just, with your permission, outed you as a rainbow. I love this language, rainbow child to the whole ward. So you're now out um, to a ward that many know. Talk about how that was for you and how the ward treated you.
2: Um, The ward, uh, I, I think the majority of people, well, I noticed a lot of uh-huh, a lot of women in the audience were also tearing up and crying, and that was very fun because it's it's all about me so <laughs> <laughs> um but uh afterward, I do remember um it was a great experience because several uh of the people I remember growing up with um came and spoke with me and sort of reaffirmed that they still liked me, I guess. <laughs>
1: And, and they were proud
2: of me and all that kind of stuff.
1: One of his former bishops came up and just held out his big hand and said, love you, brother, shook his hand. And I just lost it again because that just really meant everything to me to know that they would still love him and still accept him.
0: Um, I love the talk and I love the what happened after the talk. Any more experiences you remember from that day being in church?
2: Um. I distinctly remember I should have brought tissues. Why? (laughs) Because I uh, was tearing up and snot dribbling down my nose the whole time, and I had to wipe it with my tie. And so I had to go clean my tie when I got home.
0: Why? Why was it emotional for you?
2: Growing up in the church and then falling out of it has been uh, a very painful and difficult part of my life and it's i think it's i i've I've had a long a lot of impulses to just sort of run away as much as i as fast as i can and just move to a different state and just meet new people and get and try to immerse myself in some other thing um and i decided that I didn't want to do that because I I'm still proud of where I came from and I'm proud of my heritage and I'm proud of my family and my family still loves me. And I just can't run out, I can't abandon them like that. So um, it's just been a difficult. I, I've, I've had to press myself a lot in order to overcome the sort of fear that I get when I uh, think about sort of reconciling my my heritage with where i'm at now does that make sense it
0: does you're doing a very good job of communicating and then talk more about how i don't want to put words in your mouth how this helped that reconciliation to be there at church and to have people know that you're gay and still love you or and or your mom talk about you in such positive terms
2: um yeah, I, I believe I've always I sort of I've already I've always at a cognitive level at least expected that there's no there's there's no way that um anybody who knew me growing up would suddenly say slurs or mean things to me um just because of who I am now. And uh but but sort of on an emotional level that hadn't been Recognized, if that makes sense. Nice. and so when I was able to go there, and my mom spoke about me, and I and um, and the ward was still obviously, uh, I don't know if accepting is quite the word, but at le- at the very least, very positive toward me. Um, I, I it sort of it brought that level of closure on that emotional level, so that I was able to keep. Keep it was very re-energizing, I should say.
0: You're doing a good job of articulating um, your thoughts. So I love the word closure on that emotional part. I love that intellectually you kind of knew that people would still love you, but there's an unknown kind of on a different level of us, the emotional side. And some of us that are OCD think about a lot of things that might be said or they are saying. And and to have that experience then um, in that situation in the very ward you grew up in. I love the way that was helpful for you. I love the way you acknowledge you had tears. I think that's real men cry. <laughs> um, I think that's an insight to the good man you are and your good heart and your desire to make peace and build bridges. And I love what you said, Malcolm, is, you know, there's a, there would be a logical side to get away from any pain and anger you felt as the church didn't work out for you. And, and it's, but it's part of, it's sort of wired in you. It's hard to just let go. So it, It's part of your heritage and your culture, to use some of your words. It's part of your family. So I recognize where it may make sense just to say, I'm going to get away from this because it's painful. But I love the way you said that's not the long-term solution to this because I love my family. And I want to have a relationship with my family, and they love you. And so just respect. There's no owner's manual, Malcolm, for the road you're walking. But I think you're doing a good job.
2: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Um, and w- uh, I'd love to know how the ward responded, or any things you'd like to share. The talk's done. You've been real vulnerable. I don't know if you're nervous now. Are they going to like? <laughs> you've said kind things about gay people over the pulpit. That's not thing that ha- That doesn't happen a lot in church. <laughs> um, there's lots of good quotes, so it's not like you made up content. You just quoted what our leaders are saying, but often. We're not really doing that at the congregation level. So talk about just the reaction.
1: It was really nerve wracking for me to do that (laughs) because I hadn't done that before, but we've been in the space, uh, Malcolm came out to us in 2016. So it's, we've been in this space for quite a while and you reach a certain point where um, I was tired of not talking about it, you know, and sitting in, sitting in meetings and having people say thing and say things and then wondering what should I have said or what should I have You know, how should I address this or should I stand up and say something or that kind of thing? So it was actually quite uh, nerve wracking, but also refreshing to have a a platform to be able to say that um, and be able to to say some of the things that I've learned and hopefully to help somebody. What was really interesting is as I sat down before I even left the stand, I had two moms text me. Hey, can we need to talk? I need to talk with you. I'd love to hear more. I need to tell you about the situation or something like that. you knew
0: they weren't corrective texts. No,
1: no, they weren't corrective texts. They were, I I need some guidance. I need some help. I knew
0: you were a safe person Mm -hmm. to help them.
1: Yeah. And it was really interesting how many people since then that we had had no clue of came up and said, my brother or my son or my daughter, or, you know, these are all LGBTQ people in our families that, that pretty much we hadn't talked about before. I hadn't talked about to any of these people that are my good friends. About their family members before, because it's something we just don't talk about at church. And so, if I was the platform to get that conversation started, that's great. You know, it's it's I'm happy to be that person. And I uh, met with a couple of different sisters in their homes and gave them some of the resources that I'd had and just listened. We listened to each other, you know, and um, talked about you know our own experiences and what we had learned. And I've learned a lot, but I've made a lot of mistakes. And one of the things that I wanted to bring up again that I pointed out in my talk is I think that as parents, it would be really, really helpful for us if we had any clue about what to do about this when our kids come out before, you know, before they come out. Like if we had talked, if we talked to young parents now um, and just kind of give them some guidance or help or something like that, that would make it a lot easier on us. And also, um, just to be thinking about the things that we say, the things that people say around us and how we react to those things. Are we positive about LGBTQ people? Are we negative? Um, And not realizing that some of our children might, you know, be listening. Well, they are, they're listening to whatever we say. So, you know, all parents make mistakes, but um, hopefully we can learn and grow from that and move forward.
0: Um, I love that. And often when a talk like this happens in a ward, it is, the it it's like the, I'm not very good at articulating this. I'm in a mountain lake where you're throwing a rock into a mountain lake with no wind. It's just clear glass, I guess is the right word. And the ripples just kind of don't end because Mm -hmm. it's the first time it's been talked about. So it allows it to be talked about and talked about and all these sort of pent up demand for needed conversations with someone who knows the space can mentor them and be a safe person happen. And it seems like that's what's happening.
1: Yeah, it's been really good. Um, one thing that happened immediately after the talk was the Bishop stood up and um, he said, there's been doctrine preached from this pulpit. And he paused for a second. And then he said, and I wanted to let you know that it's true doctrine. And I really appreciate that underlying that saying that, you know, what I had said was all stuff that's in the church. These are all things that come from church leaders. They come from the scriptures. I wasn't saying anything that, that, um, I mean, it's not a topic we talk about a ton, but it's, I wasn't saying anything inflammatory and that just to have have him underline and say that he said, amen, and gave me his support. That was, that meant a lot.
0: That's really cool you're listening, Bishop, that's really cool because I think you recognize the vulnerability of this board member to give this talk, and some people might be nervous about talking about this topic at church, and so I think your air cover um, is really helpful, and it probably helps other people to talk about it knowing the bishop probably wanted you to I think your your bishopric knew you were going to talk about this. And so they in their counseling recognize this is a topic that needs to be talked about in the ward. We're gonna have Sister Easton talk about it. So I assume there's a backstory there. But um I just think this is a part of creating Zion. And um I think I think the fears are sometimes if we talk about LGBTQ and there's obviously all age kids in the ward that that will confuse them into being LGBTQ. Talk about either of you want to talk about why oh, that's a unjust fear. That's not a word, but you know what I mean.
1: Well, just definitely from everything that I've learned on the podcast and, and really, like you always say, talking to LGBTQ people, that's where you need to find your information. If we talk about them, you know, it, it doesn't really help. But if we're talking to them, asking them questions, that's where we get more of our information. So I think the, as we've stated, um, talking about LGBTQ issues doesn't turn anyone um, LGBTQ. That just is, it's not a thing. So um, I think it's important too, because I, I, I was in the youth quite a bit in our ward and we have several young men and young women. It's not just Malcolm. We have several young men and young women that have grown up and they have same sex marriage, same sex marriages, or they, um, some of them are still struggling and trying to decide what they're going to be doing with their lives, that kind of thing. And as a youth leader, I wish that I had had more training. I wish that someone had talked to me about what to do or what to say. If I have youth that are, um, LGBTQ, whether I know it or not. Same thing there. Um, when I was talking about parents, the same thing needs to happen in our our uh, youth and primary even just let's make sure that we're positive about people and we show Christ-like love and we're not saying negative things about anyone. I just think that's so important.
0: Well said. Malcolm, the thoughts that come to your mind as we're talking that you'd like to share or I'm going to ask you a question.
2: Oh, sure. I'll take a question.
0: (laughs) Um, Most people I've met with um, that have left the church, there's some pain there. There's sometimes anger towards the church. There's not really a place for me if I'm gay, unless I want to be celibate. They've heard unkind things about them that don't seem fair. You feel not seen or misunderstood or over-villainized. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if you've felt some anger, um, I've learned obviously to honor that anger and. Recognize that's part of my baptism covenants to mourn and bear in comfort is to hear your pain and justify your anger or honor your anger. But talk about your anger. And if you felt some anger, um, where you are now, if you're still angry, if you've been able to overcome that. And the reason I ask that question, listeners, there may be those of you that are in a real angry spot and maybe want to get out of that because you recognize it may not help you long term. It's kind of a long question, but it's talk about your own anger if you had some and and where you are to overcome that or deal with it.
2: Yeah. Um I, I I will say I have definitely had uh especially right when I was starting to come to grips with my beliefs and sort of who I was, uh, I definitely had a lot of anger toward the church. Um but I still loved my family and they still loved me no matter what and that has been uh just such an immense blessing uh i don't think i i i i think that if it wasn't for my family still holding on to me and loving me i don't think i would be able to get over that anger i think it's pretty critical that they were able to um still love me regardless and i still love them and uh, they still need me and I still need them for so, so much of getting through life. So, um, the anger I felt was, there. it's just, it feels like there's a lot of, um, a lot of what the church teaches as you, as I grew up Mormon, uh, was that Everything can be solved through faith. And if you just pray and believe, then you can get through it no matter what. And that just was a message that I didn't, that I, uh, that was not very helpful for me because I, there were things I was going through and uh, just thoughts I was having that praying and, and, having faith was not doing anything for and I needed something else I believe um and so the the growing up in the church and having that be my sort of background and not getting the help I believe I needed uh was was I mean it make, it's very anger-inducing <laughs> it's, it's a little frustrating but I but um I've come to understand that a lot of that m- most people don't have a, uh, most people believe that they're doing the right thing. And I believe that for the most part, people are trying their best. And even people that said things to me that I wish that I don't think was helpful to me, they were still trying to, they were, they're were still doing what they believed in and they just needed to know better. Um, and, and not, not that they were they needed to have a different attitude does that make sense yeah so coming to understand that has made it a lot easier to um forgive people because i i still believe that they're all trying their best and same goes for everybody in my life that's been in my upbringing i think very very rarely is there somebody who's actually Um, like malicious or wants to hurt people just for the sake of doing so, or wants to use the church as a, as a, as a weapon or the doctrines or any beliefs as a weapon to hurt people or to impose their own power. I think most people are trying their best.
0: That was a terrific segment, Malcolm. If I had to give a title for that segment, I'd use the, the phrase grace. We talk about grace abstractly, but you just taught us grace in real life. And to feel anger and pain from the faith community you've given so much to and was your home and it's not your home, and to be able to have that much grace back towards your faith community puts tears in my eyes. Seriously. Um You're not a flamethrower. You may have thrown some flames. I think we all have. But your core is a bridge builder. And I recognize your acknowledgement of the role of your mom, Ann, and Niall, your dad, and your family that always loved you. And I think that's the formula is love. And some of you may be parents of a gay kid and you're loving them and they're still in the angry phase or the wanting everybody else to leave the church with them phase. And every story is different. So I don't want to create a feeling that if you do exactly what Ann and Niall do, your gay child out of the church is going to respond like Malcolm. But it is what is happening in your family. And it's, and to me, it's a beautiful love story. Um, I love this line from your talk um, We will always love each other. And then, Niall, Niall, if you're listening, this is a podcast as a credit to you. Um, Friends will always come and go, but families are forever. So the principles of your family, just keep your family circle together. But respect for the road you're walking, Malcolm, and your good heart. Appreciate it. Um, Any more thoughts before I start asking more questions that are just on your mind you'd like to share, either of you?
2: Um, Something that comes to mind for me is I want to make sure to mention and explain that um i don't have i i am still very much proud of where i came from and very much proud of my heritage and um one of my fondest memories growing up was going to trek and pulling a hand cart <laughs> uh one of our one of our group member or family members um he, he was having a hard time because he hadn't prepared properly and he hadn't broken in his shoes and so he was getting blisters on his feet and so we had to um he he had to ride in our hand cart and we had to pull him, but that's just what you have to do. Cause when you're out there in, in the desert and there's nothing else to do, then that's, you just buckle down and do it. You know, it's, it's such a sort of freeing experience to know where, what the answer is and what you have to do. It's just pull the hand cart, you put your shoulder to the wheel, right? You just go, you you you're not going to get there unless you do the work and just get there. And then, Having everything laid out for you—that is a wonderful experience. And so, and and understanding that, um, like the LDS work work ethic, I grew up with has been very helpful to me. Um, and I believe it's just a really good thing. There's a lot of good things growing up LDS. Um, I just wanted to make sure that everybody, I guess, understands that. And I believe um, there's there's probably a lot of people who are still very angry at the church, and I think it that it's also probably a very conflicting feeling to have to reckon with all of the good experiences you've had, given how angry and betrayed you might feel. But um, it's, it's possible. I, I believe to, to reckon with those. And I, that's, that's what I believe.
0: Talk about therapy. I don't know if that's part of the way to reconcile those, but I know you, we talked before we went live a little bit about therapy. Share with listeners, your thoughts about therapy.
2: Well, I believe that, um, one of the greatest factors that would have helped me growing up would, would have been to have had, I've been able to see a therapist, um, and, and have a regular relationship with a therapist because I, I, I think what a therapist is able to do is they're able to, um, sort of dig into your blind spots and what you don't understand about yourself and, um, help you reconcile with the various aspects of your own like psyche and, and mental state. Um, And, uh, and I don't know if there's a, a better way to do that. Um, I think one of the biggest blind spots that uh, kids have growing up is relating to their own parents as well. And so uh, there it's, it's going to be incredibly difficult for any parent to, help their own child because their a lot of their child's issues come from blind spots that they developed in response to their parenting and so there's the only way out of that is to see a third party whose job it is to listen to you and try to understand um, where you're coming from and help you learn to to deconstruct your own blind spots
0: I love that and I think that you're not implying parents fail if their kids see therapists. I think you're implying that, um, and I'm coming from this from a parent, that I recognize the role of therapists in my life and my kids' life to bring tools to help them in a way that I can't help them as their parents. So it's not like I failed or I should be able to complete every need for a kid. It's just that kids need therapists and parents need therapists. So I, I love that.
2: I wholeheartedly agree. I think actually if your kid is seeing therapy, that's a good sign. I think that means that you're probably being a good parent.
0: My father normalized seeing therapists when I was in my teenage years. My family was going through a hard spot. This is in the 70s. My dad was a leader um, in our community and in our stake. And we went to therapy as a family in the 70s. And he normalized that for me in a very healthy, wonderful way. And I've shared with listeners on the podcast, I've been to a therapist twice in my life, and I think it was the example, perhaps, of my father um, normalizing therapy. So I love what you said about that, Malcolm. Um, More thoughts that come to either of your mind as we're talking.
1: I just think it's interesting because as parents, we're trying to do our very best that we can with our children. And I think we try to maybe be too perfect at some points you know, trying to make sure that we set a good example and things like that. And I think if we acknowledge our mistakes and we apologize for the things that we've done, um, you know, that, that maybe weren't quite the right thing, or if we lost our temper or whatever things that we can uh, take responsibility for, then it helps the kids to see that they can also make mistakes and they can also apologize. They can also repent. They can also move forward. And I think that that's just really important to make sure that we know that, None of us is perfect and we're doing the best that we can. And we're not a perfect family either, but we do love each other a whole lot.
0: (laughs) Talk to um, families and that have kids that are sort of younger, the 12 and younger, and they're pretty thoughtful parents um, and they recognize that they could have an LGBTQ kid. They don't know that I'm making the kids so young that it's they can't come out. They don't know yet whatever age that is, but they want to create a family culture so that if they do have some LGBT kids, they'll, they will, they will come out and they'll walk with them on that road. Just talk, give advice to parents.
1: I think it's probably a good idea to make sure that you have positive role models for your family in whatever aspect it is of life. So if you can find positive role models in, in society or in the media or anything and you know, they, we have straight people. We also have LGBTQ people that we can lift up and say, these are good people and these are, they're doing good things. And just making sure that you're talking positively about everyone. I think that really helps a lot. And then also, I think, um, making sure that we are, um, listening to our children, listen to what they have to say. Um, because a lot of times, um, I don't know that Malcolm gave us any clues or anything, but uh but I think that there are things that come up that you that sometimes I wish I had listened to a little bit more. Um, and making sure that I knew when my kids were struggling. Cause sometimes I didn't find out they were struggling until the after they'd passed through something. Same. You know? And and you just wonder, you know, how what could I have done? How could I have been better to make sure that I was there and make sure that the kids knew that I you know, supported them and and that I could help them more, so they didn't have to go through things on their own. So,
0: I love that, and <clears throat> I, I, no one's really suggest. I mean, that was a it's pointing out role models in our community that are LGBTQ and saying kind things about them is a good thing. Um, I wish there were more in our church. I hope that someday we'll look at the leadership of our church and there'll be some openly LGBTQ people. And that that will give role models and perspective, and just improve. It doesn't change our doctrine of our church, but I just think it's part of becoming more inclusive and creating Zion.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But other organizations, you know, I look at politically on both sides of the party, there are openly LGBTQ people politically, and I think we can point to them as contributing to our community, even if we're in a different political party. So, if you in in your spirit, you could say this is a good person. He's gay. She's gay. Um, They're not following the doctrine of our church, but they are contributing to society. I don't agree with everything politically or I do, but you can humanize them without selling out your beliefs. And that I think creates the family culture you're talking about creating.
1: There's another point there too, that um, I think that a lot of times people will say, well, I just wish they wouldn't talk about it. Why do they have to talk about it? You know, but it's, being one of those people that and it's not even me with Malcolm's story. We didn't talk about it for a long time with the family. And we found that Malcolm was kind of slowly drawing away from the family, the extended family, not our immediate family, but it's because we didn't talk about what was happening with him in his life. And, you know, um, because it's just really uncomfortable to have that situation. So, um, I don't know if this might be a good time to segue into our, um, please Christmas letter here. So Christmas of 2020, um, we'd been through quite an interesting um, situation where both of our oldest kids met their partners um, around the same time. And uh, Marin met her husband Weston and, um, you know, every, every milestone that they had, you know, when they got engaged, everything like that, we were celebrating with the whole family. And then uh, with Malcolm, he met his partner, and we just um, didn't really say anything about that because he didn't want us to say anything at, at any point. And then um, he he gave us permission because I was I asked him I said, um, would it be okay if I just add it into our Christmas letter? Is it okay if I just say in here, you know, that we have two new members of the family and just you know welcome them? And he gave me he gave us permission to do that. And so this is what I wrote in that. It says, the Easton family is so excited to welcome two new members. Malcolm and Kyle celebrated their first year together in September, and Marin and Weston were married on December 19th. One thing we've always wanted for our children is for them to find partners that love and understand them and who also fit in well with our family. Kyle and Weston definitely do that. As parents, we're glad to to see the happiness that Malcolm and Marin have found. This past year or so with our increased family of eight has been so much fun. And for a lot of the extended family members, that was the first time that they had heard this, had heard this about Malcolm. And so just for me, it was such a relief to finally be able to talk about my son and how happy I was for him and how excited I was for him, just as much as I was for Marin, for him to be able to find someone that loves him and that that fits in with our family. And we just, and we just love him. So and we love them both. Well, we love them all, but <laughs> Anyway, it was just a big relief. So when you're talking about, well, why don't they? Why don't? Why can't they just not talk about it? It's an integral part of all of our lives. You know, the relationships that we have, the people that we're with, the, um, the lives. You know, the the lives that we lead. Um, your your partners in that are very much a part of our family, and we want to make sure that we give them just as much love and attention as we do. The members of our family who are following what we call, consider the prescribed path or, you know, in the gospel, because we want to make sure that our family is always, always together, that we always love one another.
0: I love that. I love how natural it is to integrate that with a Christmas card. I love that you mentioned the names of the partners for your two kids and just sort of um, put them on equal ground. And it doesn't sound as you write, read that, and wrote that. There's no shame or embarrassment, and I think that is helpful for the family. Um, as your partner is reading that, I assume he read that Christmas card, and that sends a message to how they may have already known before the Christmas card how the family <laughs> feels about Kyle.
2: Yeah, Kyle, partner, and, Kyle, and my family have always gotten along really, really well ever since they had initially met. So They've gotten, they're, they're, they're all in great terms.
0: What was the reaction from your extended family or others that learned Malcolm's got a boyfriend for the first
1: time? Yeah, that was, it was really interesting. A lot of family members reach out and say, I apologize if I've ever said anything that, you know, might have been hurtful. Um, we love you. We think you're, you know, we love Malcolm. Um, they just, they, they recognized that they needed to change some of their thoughts and paradigms as well. Because as we've learned so many times on this podcast, until it happens to you and it's a member of your immediate family, it's it's a whole different ballgame to talk about what other people should do versus when, you know, it, it's in our it's in our own family and uh, just getting more education and making sure that we find out that, you know, the right things to say and the right things to do. I know that um, you had two cousins call you. You want to talk about that? Okay. <laughs> well, his two closest cousins, in age on either on either side of the family, just called him and said, or at least is what he told me, "I uh, love you, brother. Still love you, man. You know." So, okay. so they called him and acknowledged him and um, let him know that that didn't change anything for them.
0: I love just sometimes moms lead in this space in a family. Sometimes it's the dads, but I think there's kind of extra personal revelation coming to moms about how to. Parent kids. That's certainly the way it's worked in our family. I'm doing the best I can, but my dear wife Sheila really leads and gets a lot of personal revelation for how to best support our kids. Um, but I love that this is came to you to put this in a Christmas card and that you did want to talk about it and you wanted to support. And I love, and I think I would I think we just invite listeners that are parents trying to communicate, they have LGBTQ kids to act on the impressions you may find a Christmas card works for you. But ideas may come into your mind that haven't ever been communicated in this podcast that are neat to you. Um, but I love that you did this, and I love that you normalized it. What would you say to people, and maybe no one said this to you, but wait a second, Ann, you're He is living outside the doctrine of our church. You're, you're too supportive. You're condoning this. Um, you should stand up for the truth of our church. And um, this feels to me like you're crossing a line that is inappropriate.
1: I just say that I, like I said in my talk, I've prayed about this so, 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 so many times because this is, you know, obviously that's, that was my first thought. What happens now? What happens to my eternal family, right? As we're taught and as we believe. And so I struggle with that a lot and I spend a lot of time on my knees and the answer I always get is everything's going to be okay. You know, and being in the impatient mortal that I am, I'm like, how, when, why, how, how is this going to be okay? Okay but I just keep getting that peaceful feeling and just the answer to love and accept my family. And so I, that's all I can tell people. I just know what is personal revelation for me. And that is my personal revelation that it's going to be okay. And I feel calm and I feel peaceful. And I, and it absolutely would have been uh, the wrong thing to do to, to cut my son out of our lives and, and to not acknowledge him or his partner or anything like that, 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 that felt absolutely wrong. And so we just try to do the best that we can and do what feels right. And um, prayer and inspiration for me, very important, just to make sure. And then just keeping communication lines open. Um,
0: a lot of LDS parents have adult children or late teenage children leave the church, um, perhaps more than at any time in the history of the church that it's occurring now. I don't know that empirically, but that's sort of anecdotal. Um, and so, a lot of parents are sort of saying, "This is what What does this mean for our eternal family? Are there going to be empty chairs at the next life? And am I going to be visiting kids in different kingdoms? And this is really different than what I thought. And I grieve, and I even wonder if I met, didn't teach the truths of our uh, if i if this is on me as a parent for not teaching the gospel. Because if I'd really taught the gospel, and really done every family night, and really gone to the temple once a month, and Never had a bad thought. I'm kind of being a little silly listeners that all my kids would be active in the church and they grieve. They think it's their fault and or they think my eternal family's way different. Talk to those parents that are full of that grief.
1: Well, that's exactly. uh, It wasn't about his coming out, but when Malcolm told us he didn't believe in the gospel, we just hugged him and held him and just he cried and we cried and just told him we were going to love him no matter what. We'll always love you no no matter what and when we walked upstairs my husband just looked at me and i started crying he said you cannot think like that and i had not said anything <laughs> but he knew exactly what i was thinking it was all of those things that you just said what did i do what could i have done he's like you cannot think that way we did everything that we could have and and we just need to leave it up to the lord you know and and really that's what it is it's it's not my responsibility or my job to lead other people's lives. I am the only person that I am in charge of, and I'm the only person that I have personal revelation for for myself. And so we have to give that agency to everyone to make sure that they can choose their own paths as well. And our job at that point is just to love them.
0: And then I love that. But then do you go down the road, but are we going to, I'm loving and I'm keeping my family circled together in mortality. But what does that mean for eternal Eternally, are we going to be not an eternal family because we're not all all in the church? How do you talk to our listeners that are battling that on how you're thinking through that?
1: So there are just so many things that we don't know about the next life. There's so many things that we just really, we don't have, uh, I think we just need more information. Um, And so, as you've said so many times on this podcast, we laid at the Savior's feet and and I, we know that it'll all work out in the end. So um, we just have to trust and, and have faith that that's what will happen.
0: So I love that part of the answer. But just what sort of keeps you in the church then? Um, what's your grounding f- to stay in the church?
1: So for me, uh, like I said, I, did, I go, did go through a lot of prayer and a lot of wrestling. And actually, the thought had occurred to me, you know, maybe, is this really true? You know, and um, just just having to really search my feelings and search my testimony and think about the experiences that I had that I have had in the past, and just I still come to the same conclusion that I still believe the church is true. I still believe in the gospel. I still want to be part of it. Um, I think there's so many good things that we can do when we have such a great community and a great uh, great uh, ward members and families that we have. So I think we just need to make sure that we continue to include everyone in that. And so for me, um, you know, the thought occurred to me, do I, do I leave Um, or do I stay and try to do some good? And honestly, I want to be at this point and come to the point where I want to, I want to help people, you know, and if I can help other people in this space, um, help people understand, then uh, that's the person that I want to be.
0: I love your answer. And um, a lot of People are trying to reconcile. In an earlier podcast with Jody England Hansen, I'd said something I never really thought about before, but kind of before I was a YSA bishop and met your good daughter, Mira and I really didn't have much dissidence or living with any paradoxes in Latter-day Saint. All my kids are straight. I've never been in some of these complicated areas or forced to be in them because I didn't have to be. So I just kind of went on my merry way and the church worked for everybody in my circle. Um, but then dissonance came in my life as I was willing to listen to a couple gay men in that ward and recognize the complexities and the paradoxes they lived in the trade-offs. And that created dissonance for me. And I always thought the path forward for me was to end that dissonance somehow. <laughs> and so it could continue. But I've learned that anyway, for me, I don't, I just live with the paradoxes and the dissonance. And so if you're a listener in dissidence, thinking that I want to get back somehow to get out of dissidence. you may be able to do that, but you may just may find that your best path forward, if you want to stay in the church is just to live with the paradoxes and the dissonance, even though that's difficult and um, is challenging at times, it's been my path forward. And I don't prescribe that as your path forward, but it might be if your goal is to stay in the church and sort of live with the complexities of this space. Um, I've got a couple of questions for you, uh, Malcolm. One is, and anything else you'd love to say, thank you, Anne. That was a terrific segment asking some pretty tender questions. You were great. Um, what's the most important thing to you in the world, Malcolm?
2: Um, the most important thing to me in the world is that people are still able to um, believe in each other and regardless of what their beliefs are differences are what, whatever tribes we identify with that people are still able to work together and love each other and um, I think that as long as as long as people are still working together and and able to understand each other without necessarily having the same beliefs I think that I don't think that there's anything that really is standing in our way. I think we'll be able to work past whatever problems, um, like political or, or economic or anything like that, as long as we're able to stand together as, as, as um, I guess, siblings. Um, every human is, is at least uh, 50th cousins. And most of us are 30th at, Love the, at the very <laughs> furthest. And most of us are actually a lot closer, like 12th or something, because um, people generally geographically... Uh, tend to uh, cluster. But yeah, I I believe that people will be able to, as long as we're able to understand each other and work together, I think we'll be able to get through anything. And um, I believe that we need to build bridges um, between people inside the church and outside the church. I think we're living in an an absolutely unprecedented time in the world. Um, The internet is a invention that is on the level of the printing press on as to how much it can revolutionize the way that we think uh, across the world. The the I think um, the internet allowed growing up. The internet allowed me to realize that um, the the world was a lot bigger than than what the church sort of taught me or what I learned. I I believed growing up, I should say. Um, And that's sort of how I ended up becoming the person I I believe I am now. And uh, that allowed me to reach out and meet my partner, the internet did. um, And, uh, and, and meet people that I, I could get along with um, sort of the, the, the clan that I, I, I'm party two at this point is, is very much uh, people that I speak to mostly online. So I just think that it's an unprecedented time and, and we have to learn to adapt and get along. Uh, I think it's uh, it the, the ability of people to uh, find other tribes they identify with across the world without having to, um, or w- without being, without needing to, commune with their own local community is probably one of the biggest sources of divisiveness in in the world right now um and i think we need to learn how to reckon with our local community while also growing and starting to and beginning to understand um uh, how the world outside is as well does that make sense it does okay
0: um before we went live, you your mother talked about the personality tests that you all did as kids growing up and um you're a peacemaker and that's coming through and everything about this podcast. We talked a little bit before we went live, uh Malcolm, about fear and how that can be a barrier to some of the things you want to you're hoping we can accomplish. Do you want to talk any more about that or have you felt like you've addressed that?
2: Sure. Uh yeah, I can speak about that. Good. Um I believe that Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to hate somebody who is being, who is in front of you and speaking with you and being genuine. Uh, and I don't, I don't think, I think that the majority of the barrier that exists between, um, members of the church who are very conservative and very faithful and members, uh, or people outside the church who, um, I suppose, fear the people within the church. I believe that that barrier is almost, I, I'm almost certain that that barrier is illusionary or illusory. It's not, it's not real. I think it's just a, it's, it's as soon as somebody is able to cross that barrier, they're able to immediately be immediately realize how easy it is to cross. Does that make sense? It does. does. Um, and I've had to deal with this as well personally on a personal level um, I, I I've crossing that barrier is terrifying um, because I'm always scared of what might happen uh, and what how people might respond to me um, but I on occasion managed to do it <laughs> muster up the courage to do it and uh, every time I've done it so far i've I've found that um, most there there there's no animosity that is on the other side it's it's all just an illusion it, as long as you're able to make a connection with somebody and speak with them directly and represent yourself properly i i believe that no matter what we're going to be able to get along but there's just this barrier between all of us
0: yeah, um your sort of skill in the space of building bridges is remarkable malcolm um even though you're not a church-going person, the principles that are hardwired into you are one, are really terrific and needed in our community. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I agree with you. We need to do the things that you're inviting us to do. And fear often keeps us from meeting people that are different than us. And um, But I love your formulas. Talk to people that are different than you. It's hard to hate someone close up, move in. Is a Brene Brown quote that you're that you're also teaching. I, I don't have any other questions. Do either of you have more thoughts that come to your mind?
2: Um, I did have one thought. Good. I wanted to speak on how my mom, um, or any parent, I suppose, could, um, I guess, learn how to. Okay. The, the the subject of the topic was my mom not knowing that her kid was going through anything until after. And I wanted to speak on, I believe that uh I, I, I believe that growing up when you start to become your own person and not just your parents' kid, um you have to recognize that uh your that that your parents image of you doesn't match up with who you are and i'm pretty sure that this happens with everybody i don't think anybody is there is 100% their parents child they're they're to some to some degree they're every person is their own person that is separate from what their parents wanted them to be and as a parent i would recommend that you Think about how you're going to deal with that revelation when it comes, and make sure that your kid knows that even if they aren't the person that they that the parent thought that the kid was, that they're still going to love them and support them, um, and that they're they'll they'll be able to learn to accept that.
0: I love that, and um, I wish I'd known that. Earlier when we were raising our kids, I think i would I think I would have conversations with if this is going on in your life, this is how I'll respond. If you're having questions about the church, this is how I respond. If you're wondering if you're not straight, this is how I respond. If you're messing up with whatever um I' always invite you to keep church teachings, but if you are, this is how I respond. If you take up swearing. Um, This is how I respond. (laughs) Um, So I just wish I'd done what you're inviting us to do because I would want my kids to feel that I could walk with them. I could still have expectations and family rules and teach, but I would also say I'll walk with you because I want to know what's going on in your life. And this is how I respond. So I love that segment.
1: Uh,
2: Yeah.
0: And Anne's got a thought too.
1: So I just wanted to mention too that uh, parents are not always what children think they are, either, <laughs> you know. As parents, I think we try to be perfect. We try to set a good example, and I think that, I think it hap- when it happened when I realized that is when um, my kids started protecting me from the language on TV instead of me protecting them because, you know, for example, if you hear a swear word and oh no, or look away or something, it's it it came to the point where they were like, oh mom, you shouldn't hear this. But I realized that um, maybe I had presented myself in a way to them that. Didn't actually naturally reflect me either, so I think I think for parents and kids, we just all need to be honest about who we are.
0: And I think that's good. I think vulnerability breeds vulnerability, so we're real as parents, and I think it helps our kids to be real with us. So, listeners, this is I'm really touched by Malcolm and Ann. I'm grateful for both of them. This sort of started with the conversation with me and Ann. We've been emailing each other for several years on this topic and um, Malcolm coming to church. And then I asked Dan, would you think Malcolm would come on the podcast? And um, I'm so glad you did. I'm glad too. This would have been a great podcast without, with just Dan, but this is a terrific podcast with you because you're here to talk about how this works. And it's, it's not just theoretical. You're sitting here. It's real. And your contributions to this podcast and to your family and and what you've done back for our faith community that you're not a part of. I hope we just continue to love you and support you and um, thank you for all the good you did. All those air conditioners you fixed, all those <laughs> things you did, the families you visited with your dad and all the good that you've done, wherever you've gone, Malcolm. I know you haven't been perfect and I haven't been perfect. Um. You know, you've been married thirty one years. I think if I'd met you come, you know, in the first year of marriage, Anne and said thirty one years from now, you'll be on a podcast with your gay son. <laughs> That's probably not what you had in mind. It
1: probably would have been a little too much information at the time,
0: <laughs> um, but you know, it's just the reality of life is that you know we have to have a set of principles as parents so we can navigate just the realities of raising children. and um, I think you've done a really good job and had a principle-based approach to do this. You haven't been perfect. I haven't been perfect, but you're to share your story. And um, I also think of Apollo 13 sometimes when we do a podcast like this. And I think you remember that show when whoever the commander, the lead is, when they're in their very darkest moment, he stands up like a true leader and says, excuse me, I think this is our finest moment. I'm paraphrasing that, but. I think this is one of the finest moments in the eastern home. That Christmas card, your talk, this podcast, and just the love that's present in your home. I think it's a beautiful love story. You can't see this on the podcast listeners, but I can see that these this mother and son have been holding hands much of this podcast. It's just, I think this is just one of just an incredibly fine moment. And I think a foundation is here for lots of more finer moments because of the principles of love and support and communication and honesty that's in this family. And I think it gives you a foundation to continue to navigate any more curveballs that come your way because of the, the structure and the and the strength in the family. And it's a gift that you've shared your story with other listeners who are looking for the principles that you have to be able to bring that into their family or into our church community. So with that, Malcolm and Anne will sign off. Thank you for being on the podcast, and thank you, our listeners, for listening. So this is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.